ministry, there's, there's a lot of dates that, uh, that come to mind, that perhaps come to mind uh, for you. Some of you may have been around on some of these dates, and, and others of us uh, may have learned some of these dates in the history books. Uh, but when you hear December 7th, 1941, uh, most people think of Pearl Harbor, and uh, we think of uh, being catapulted into World War II. Uh, if you hear June 6th, 1944, maybe, maybe the date doesn't ring a bell, but D-Day rings a bell when we won the decisive victory in World War II. And there, there are dates like the assassination of JFK in 1963, November 22nd, and and April 4th, 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. The 60s had a lot of dates. June 20th, or excuse me, July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong took that step, that small step for man, but that giant leap for mankind on the moon. Um, and as we think about the crisis that we find ourselves in today, I, I've often heard uh, it be compared to, in terms of just the, the experience of crisis, uh, of September 11th, 2001. I still remember where I was at in civics class in junior high when those planes hit the World Trade Center towers. Uh, we, we have uh, these dates that are so significant that have really changed the course of history and have made a lasting impression upon us. Um, there are other dates that, uh, that I could mention, uh, like November 15th of 1928, when H.B. Reese uh, brought to the world Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. That was a life-altering, world-changing experience. Uh, and if you've had one, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, nothing like a Reister, Easter Bunny uh, that you can enjoy on Easter Sunday. Um, <clears throat> there are other dates like January 1 of 1998, the last time the Michigan football team won a national championship, right? These, these are dates that are important. Perhaps they're not as world-changing and life-altering, uh, but, but we all have these events that we can point to. Maybe sometimes it's just the things that are personal in our life, uh, uh, the day we got married, the day a child was born, the day we moved to a new place, the day we got accepted into that school or got that job offer. But there's one event that I want us to consider this morning that truly has turned the world upside down, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't have an exact date for you, but there's no question that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed human history. On the road to Emmaus, uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared and was walking with two uh, disciples, and, uh, and they didn't recognize him as they talked with him, but as they reflected uh, on their time with Jesus afterwards, they, uh, they were telling some of the other uh, disciples and apostles, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talk, while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Uh, when I think about what, what I desire for God to do in our hearts this morning, uh, I, I pray that God would do something like he did in the hearts of those disciples on the road to Emmaus that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, that, that God would, would, would do a work within us uh, that would renew and refresh and revive us, that the, the resurrection wouldn't just be something that we know has changed the course of human history, but the resurrection would be something that's changing the direction and the destiny of your life. That's what I pray that God does in our hearts and our lives this morning. We've been on a journey over these last few weeks, a journey to the cross, looking at Jesus's final days uh, as he went to the cross to, to die in our place and, and for our sin. Um, I enjoyed our time 
this, uh, this last, on Friday night, as we were able to, to look at the scriptures and, and to consider Jesus going to the cross and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Well, now we come to Jesus's glorious resurrection. And from Luke 24, as we finish out this, uh, these final chapters of the gospel of Luke, I want us to see four truths about the resurrection, four truths that I pray change us and change how we live. So in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, we have the, the account of Jesus rising from the dead. And the first thing that I want us to see about the resurrection is that the resurrection really happened. The resurrection really happened. Let's look at how it unfolds. It says, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. This is specifically talking about some of the women uh, who were followers of Jesus. And as they found the stone, when they got there, rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood there in dazzling apparel. And as they were, as they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day he would rise? See, Jesus had said this at least three times, we know recorded in the Scriptures, but they, they didn't quite get what he was saying at the time. But here it says, and then they remembered his words. In verse 8, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and, and to all the rest. Now this was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the other women who told these things to the apostles. But listen to how the apostles respond. Those closest followers of Jesus, they seemed, this story it says, this news seemed to them as an idle tale and they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the account in the gospel of Luke of, of Jesus' resurrection. And, and what we see here is, is not a, not a story that's a fable. It's not a, a story that's filled with, with details of legends. It's, it's an account of what happened that day when some of Jesus' followers went to honor him in his death, and they found that he wasn't there, but that he was risen. Jesus was risen from the dead. And in fact, it's almost absurd that Jesus' closest followers wouldn't even believe it. And that it would record that in the scriptures, that, that the apostles couldn't believe what they heard. And they, they seemed, it seemed to them as an idle tale. They had to see it even for themselves. And, and, and as Peter sees it, he marvels at what had happened. He marvels at this reality that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, when we zoom out and we look at the uh, all four gospels, we know that Jesus appeared over a period of 40 days a number of different times to various people, especially to his disciples. And, and as Jesus did this, what, what was particularly uh, relevant as he appeared is he often pressed home the point that it was really him. He had really risen from the dead. It wasn't uh, a figment of their imagination. He wasn't a ghost. He had physically been raised from the dead, flesh and blood, heart beating, holding out nail-pierced hands, and a scar pierced side, telling his disciples, it is me, I am truly here. In fact, if, if you were to jump ahead just a little bit with me, when Jesus appears to his disciples a little bit after this 
this initial uh, news of his resurrection. In verse 36, Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, peace to you. And they were frightened at what they saw. They thought he was a spirit. And Jesus said, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 38 and verse 39, see my hands and my feet. It is I myself, Jesus says. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus was really raised from the dead. And furthermore, dead people don't eat. Jesus said, give me some food. Give me something to eat. And they made for him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it with them. When Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says that he sat down with them and he, he helped them understand the scriptures and he broke bread with them and he ate with them. One of the, the best uh, pieces of news we have about the resurrection is that when we're uh, in resurrected bodies, we're going to enjoy eating. Uh, you, you can all say amen, right? We've all been loading up our pantry trying to, uh, to eat uh, and, and make sure that we're, we're well stocked. Well, when Jesus, raised from, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he enjoyed a meal, multiple meals with his disciples, which I look forward to those meals myself, but the point, the point wasn't what was on the menu. The point was that Jesus was alive. He wasn't just alive in their minds or in their hearts. He wasn't just a symbolic representation of new life. He was alive from the dead, physically raised from the dead. The resurrection happened, but... Let's be honest, there's a lot of objections to the resurrection. People objected to the resurrection in the Bible. Uh, we, we saw that even Jesus' closest followers couldn't really believe it. Even Jews at the time believed in a general resurrection, but the idea of a personal resurrection still was hard for, for them to wrap their minds around it. There were even groups of leaders within Israel, like the, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in a resurrection. Sometimes we, we think that those first century people, they believed anything. You know, they, of course they believed Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, it was, you know, it was basically like you know, cavemen back then. And so our chronological snobbery, we think. But, but in fact, we, we see repeatedly that even Jesus' closest followers had a hard time fully grasping what had happened. And so when I think about the objections to the resurrection, I, I want to be fair because I know uh, perhaps there are some uh, who are even listening this morning that, that aren't quite sure what they think about the resurrection. And, and I'm glad that you're here and that you uh, are listening in this morning. Uh, there, there are some who think that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. There's even uh, faith systems that would teach that, of course, God's prophet Jesus couldn't die on the cross, that somehow God uh, spared him from that. Uh, and, and so it only appeared that he died on the cross. Or some say that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but his followers made this belief popular after his death and after people had forgotten where he was. They, they kind of latched on to this idea of Jesus rising from the dead. Now, this is, is perhaps, I think, most uh, prevalent today, even, even amongst some who, who kind of claim a, um, you know, an identity of Christian uh, would say, okay, you know, we, we can't accept that Jesus really rose from the dead. That kind of blows, um, you know, all our categories that we have. And so, but we can't deny that the resurrection has been really important and influential in the world. Um, it, just as surely as we're here this morning talking about Jesus rising from the dead some 2,000 years after it, you can't, you can't deny the significance uh, of Jesus rising from the dead, even if you deny whether or not it happened. And so some people say, okay, I don't think Jesus rose from the dead, but I think that his, the idea 
of resurrection is really important. And it's a, symbol, a symbolic uh, idea that, that has, the, has an ability to encourage us and move us and to inspire us. So the thinking goes that while the resurrection didn't happen, it provides uh, these symbolic truths or principles that, that we can latch onto that uh, when we believe and embody them, they're, they're really powerful and transformative. And so the ideas of hope and, and peace and, and the presence of God, some people would say uh, this points to you know, the, this idea of resurrection that's important. And then some would say Jesus uh, didn't rise from the dead, but really what took place is when Jesus uh, when all of Jesus' followers saw him, that they were experiencing some type of vision or hallucination. And um, in the course of time, their opinion kind of won out. And that's what uh, people believed. Or some people say uh, they, they went to the wrong tomb. They just got the wrong address. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They put him in a tomb, and they couldn't find the right one. And, uh, and, and then they kind of ran with this story of his resurrection from the dead. Now, all of those uh, have been presented by different people and held in different ways. Um, but in, in many ways, in, in present-day scholarship, not just committed Christians who believe Jesus physically rose from the dead, but also those who don't believe that he rose from the dead, uh, have, have kind of come to a point where there are a few things that we, we can say, regardless of what your perspective is on whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead, there's a few things that we can say that are true historically. Um, and, and here are these three things that I, I want to point out uh, to you. Again, these aren't just, this isn't just a bunch of pastors who got together and came up with a list to spread it around. These are scholars from different perspectives and different schools of thought who believe these truths can be said about the resurrection. And the first is this, that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. Just as we read here in Luke's account, and just as we read in all of the gospel accounts, uh, and it wasn't the, the situation that they got the address wrong, but that the tomb in which Jesus was laid, where his followers went to look for him on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Deny that the resurrection happened, but we can't deny that the tomb was empty. The second is this, that Jesus' disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed was the risen Christ. We, we see that unfolding here in uh, Luke chapter 24. We, we see the women as the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Now, when we think about the witnesses of, of who saw the resurrection, uh, it's, it's worth pointing out in the first century uh, in terms of a legal uh, situation, the testimony of women wouldn't be valid in either a Jewish or a Roman court. And so if one were seeking to press a story as valid and as true, uh, it would be suspect to make the women the first witnesses of the resurrection. But that's exactly what all four Gospels record, that Jesus's uh, followers, these women uh, who, who had been journeying with Jesus throughout his ministry, who were committed followers of Jesus, were the first eyewitnesses. So if you were making this up, you undercut your story from the beginning. And we also see when we look at, and when we look at the, the gospel accounts, and especially what we see here in Luke 24, is this isn't a, this isn't a, a legendary account with uh, kind of the perspective of, of a, 
of an all-knowing narrator telling the story. We're, we're getting details that would only come if someone were recording what happened. Why, why record the names of a few people? Uh, like, like why include just Joanna and, and Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the mother of James? And, and then we see these other references throughout our story that there were these two disciples and one of them was named Cleopas. And, uh, and we get these names that are recorded. And earlier in the gospel, we, we saw when Jesus was going to the cross, there was a man named Simon of Cyrene, who was the father of Rufus and Alexander. Well, why include these names? These, these eyewitnesses, it's been pointed out by Richard Bauckham, who's done a great scholarly work on the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, that this is pointing to the historical veracity of the accounts of the resurrection. We, we also see, uh, as I pointed out earlier, that the witnesses that the Gospels point to weren't gullible. In fact, they didn't believe it upon first hearing. And so Jesus' own disciples don't, don't hear it. And, and so we have, to, we have to kind of put off that, that thought that the first century person was, was just naive and gullible. And we, we perhaps might need to look back at ourselves and say, what kind of pride keeps us from believing what's being presented to us with, with, with such clarity and with such um, uh, convincing proof? So we see that uh, Jesus' disciples had real experience with, with one that they considered risen from the dead. That was Jesus alive after his crucifixion. And the third is we see as a result of the preaching of these disciples, which the resurrection was at the center of it. Just look at the gospel, uh, excuse me, look at the, the follow-up to the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts. The resurrection was the center, centerpiece along with Jesus' death on the cross to the early church. And so the Christian church was established upon the message of Jesus' death on the cross and his physical bodily resurrection from the dead. The resurrection wasn't some symbolic truth that inspired Christians. They saw Jesus. They, they saw his nail-pierced hands. They, they saw uh, his side, and they believed. We also know that there was a consistent and clear message that, that Jesus was put to death under the hands of Pontius Pilate at the instigation of the Jewish Sanhedrin, that he was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Why include that information? But it does, because it's, a, it's a giving us this, this historical account. And then three days later, the tomb outside of Jerusalem was empty. Jesus appears to his disciples and, and many others, and nothing has been the same since. The church, the, the first disciples go from being holed up in an upper room in their house, afraid, scared to death, not knowing what to do. And then at Pentecost, they launch the movement that really is what we know of today as the church. Ultimately born in, in the, the mind and the heart of God and, and coming to fruition there on that day in Pentecost recorded in the Gospel of Acts. How do you get fearful, terrified disciples, boldly standing up, willing to lay down their lives to proclaim that Jesus is the Savior? The answer is the resurrection really happened. But when we think about the resurrection, it's not just these historical questions. The historical questions about the resurrection indeed are troubling to, to various people and keep people back from believing Christianity. It seems maybe ludicrous to you to think that the laws of nature could be broken and, and Jesus was fully God and fully man and he rose from the dead. I understand. But there's also, I think, a sense in which it's not, it's not the truth of the resurrection that sometimes is the biggest stumbling block, but it's, it's actually the teachings 
uh, of Christianity and of this resurrected Christ. It's the teachings uh, of Jesus that are so offensive on issues like money and sex and sexuality and, and hell and the exclusivity of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone and, and, and these teachings that, that, are, uh, that are sometimes the, the things that trip us up, these ethical and moral and theological truths that Christianity proposes that trip people up. And, and I want you to know as a church, we... We welcome those questions, and we recognize that those conversations are, are needed, uh, and, and that we don't dismiss them out of hand as if uh, you, should, you should clearly know the answer. We, we want to be a place where you can talk through those things and, and explore those questions. But here's the pressing question that we have to ask today. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Do you believe it? Do you believe he rose from the dead? If he rose from the dead, that changes everything. If he rose from the dead, we're going to have to deal with everything he said. But here's the thing, though. If we believe he rose from the dead, he's going to change us. And the questions and the wrestlings that we have won't, won't be the same as he transforms and changes us. The essence really of faith is faith-seeking understanding as we submit ourselves to him to the crucified and the risen Savior. He opens up our hearts and our minds to understand who he is and what he taught and what it means to follow him. So we see here in Luke chapter 24 that the resurrection really happened. And the question that's put to you and to me is, do you believe it? Are you living like the resurrection really happened? If we are, it'll change everything about us. The second thing we see is that the resurrection is the key to understanding the Bible. As Jesus goes on and it begins to appear to other people, it says actually on that very day, there were two of his disciples that are going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a, a few miles of a journey. And while they're going, Jesus shows up and is walking with them. And it says they don't fully recognize him. And um, it doesn't tell us you know, exactly why that's the case, but it just says that um, their eyes were kept from recognizing them. So Jesus is making some kind of point in this interaction with his disciples and and basically, they're, they're, they're just chatting it up about what's happened in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is like, uh, you know, what, what are you guys talking about? And, and they're astonished. They're like, do you not know? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? And, and, and they, they talk about Jesus as this one who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word. And, and they said this. They said, we had hoped, verse 21, that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the promised Messiah. Yet now it's the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us at the tomb early this morning when they didn't find his body. And they came back saying they had these visions of, of angels who said that he was alive. And some of us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him we didn't see. So they, they're trying to make sense of all of this. Jesus died, so could he really redeem Israel and, and, and fulfill the promises that God had made? And, and they had heard that he was raised from the dead, but they hadn't seen him. And then Jesus reveals himself. And he said, foolish ones, slow to heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then here's the key. Beginning... With Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this point is repeated clearly. Look how, how many times it's clearly stated here in our passage. Going back to verses 7 and 8, when, when the angels speak and they say, He is not here, but he is, he is risen. Remember how he told you. 
When he was in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus had been saying this was going to happen, and it's only in the resurrection that his followers begin to make sense of what Jesus taught. So it's the resurrection that's the key to understanding Jesus' teaching. And, and, and next we go on, as we saw in our passage, that from Moses to the prophets, he showed these two disciples on the road to Emmaus everything that pertained to him. And if we skip down when Jesus appeared to his disciples in verses 44 through 45, it says that, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you, Jesus says, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms is, is shorthand for, for describing the entirety of the Old Testament. All of it, he showed them how it related to him. And so it's after Jesus rises from the dead that his disciples remember these things and understood what he taught. And, and Jesus is showing us that to, to really understand the Old Testament and God's message in the Old Testament, we have to understand it in light of him and who he is and, and what he did. And so if he rose from the dead, what we can say is that his, his death wasn't just a sad injustice or, or a beautiful example, but, but his death was the once and for all sacrifice of sins, that, that we, we see the shadow of that in the, in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. If, if Jesus rose from the dead, then, then all the promises that God had made were, were coming to their fulfillment in him. If Jesus rose from the dead, then, then what God said was, was awaiting us in eternity could only be accessed and, and found through faith and his promised Messiah. So if we're going to understand the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus and really the entirety of the Bible, we have to understand it in light of Jesus, in light of his life, death, and resurrection. So here's the, the question that we have to ask as we read the Bible is any passage that we're reading. Just practically, if, if we look at this, this question uh, of the resurrection helping us understand the Bible, it's how, how does the Bible, how does this passage point to, anticipate, or find its fulfillment in Jesus? So let me, let me break this down a little, bit, a little bit more clearly, maybe just kind of a helpful um, set of questions for you to ask. Because, believer, I want you to know that as we celebrate the resurrection, as we think about how to, to live in light of the resurrection, part, part of what, what Jesus does in the resurrection is, is opens our minds and our hearts up to understand the scriptures. So think about what Jesus did with his disciples after he rose from the dead. He spent time with them showing how all the scriptures should be understood in light of him. So think about what that means for our lives as Christians. Shouldn't we be spending time in his word trying to understand what the scriptures say in light of Jesus? Right? That's, that's the call of the Christian life. And so here's some questions that help us do that. Right? When we say that the Bible is to be understood in light of Jesus, it's not just that you need to look under every rock and um, you know, every nook and cranny and say, oh, here's Jesus. This must be about Jesus. There's some questions that can help guide us. Like, for example, where does this passage stand in relation to Christ? Is this before his coming, after his coming? Does this passage speak directly of Christ? Is there some direct prophecy or some aspect of Christ's work that it's talking about, especially in the New Testament? Or, or when we see a command, how does the truths of the gospel, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and the resurrection, how does the gospel help us to, to keep these commands, what implications of the gospel uh, are made? Uh, it can, does the gospel make for us to obey God's commands? And then, does the passage reveal a type of Christ? 
like a, like a Joseph who's, who's in prison and experiences this injustice, and yet God positions him to, to rescue uh, his people from, uh, from sure starvation, uh, that, that, that we have this, this type of Christ? Or, or is this passage predictive of Christ in some way, pointing to, to his future work? Or does our passage show us the uh, humanity's need for Christ? Does this reveal the, the darkness of sin uh, and our need for Christ? Look, when you read the Bible, there's some, there's some passages in the Bible that are just, frankly, messed up. There's some messed up people in the Bible, um, just like there's some messed up people in our homes. Maybe we're the messed up person, right? And, and, and we see, as we read the scriptures, humanity's need for Jesus, we also want to ask, how does this passage reveal the nature of God, the, the nature of God who provides redemption, right? Sometimes it's not just about Jesus uh, in the particular, but it's about God and his broader character uh, and his work of redemption that we see. Or, or is there, um, in our passage, does it reveal some biblical theme that points to Christ, like, like redemption, like uh, this uh, being released from bondage of slavery or, or this idea of the presence of God with us? And then does our passage show a promise of God that points to Christ? I'll never leave you or forsake you. How do we understand that in light of the truth of Christ and his resurrection? So, so these are just some, some questions that can help us uh, try to understand the scriptures in light of Jesus. Uh, put these down and, and, and use them as you read through a passage. They're not all going to be relevant for every passage, but they can help us in our pursuit of reading God's word and seeking to understand it in light of Jesus. But a second point that I want to make, not, not, not just for the believer, but perhaps for the person who doesn't believe. Here's, here's my invitation to you, or maybe to, our, to, to those who are here at TCC, if you know someone who maybe is considering Christianity or is unsure of Christianity, or, or frankly, you don't know where they're, they're even at, but you, if you would be willing to ask them this question, I believe that God would use it. Here's, here's the challenge. Here's the question. Will you read the Bible with me? Will you look at the Gospel of Luke with me? We have resources at TCC that will help walk through the Gospel of Luke in seven weeks with, with someone who has very little uh, or no knowledge of, of the Scriptures and of Christianity. But it's in the reading of the Scriptures, it's in the, the opening up of God's Word that our eyes begin to see who Jesus was. We see the beauty and the, the glory uh, of how he loved and how he cared and interacted with people. We, we see the wisdom of God and how he answered questions and, and how he discerned people's hearts. And we see his love and his grace. We see the sacrifice on the cross. We see the hope of the resurrection. Look, I think the resurrection holds up to historical investigation. But my challenge for anyone who isn't sure what they think about Jesus is are you willing to, to look at the historical source of the scriptures to see who Jesus is and what it says about him. And in addition to your historical investigation, I would encourage you to add some biblical investigation to consider the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus in the Gospels. So the resurrection really happened, and the resurrection is the key to understanding the scripture. The third thing I want you to see is that the resurrection launches the mission of the church. Look in verse 36. It says that as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said, peace to you. And we, we saw this, how he interacted with his disciples and, uh, and, uh, and showed them his, his hands and his feet. And he said, it's really me. I'm, I'm here, raised from the dead. Give me something to eat. 
But after he had eaten, then the business got started, right? Like, this is a good model for us. Eat first and then handle your business, all right? So here Jesus gets to the business of the mission of the church in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So here are the disciples, hold up in the upper room in their house, frightened and afraid. And Jesus shows up, and he appears. And when Jesus shows up, he sends his disciples out. And here's what he says. He says, peace to you. Don't be afraid. You see that in verse 36. Jesus shows them his hands and his feet. He said, I'm alive. All that I said is true, and all that I accomplished on the cross is sufficient. I am alive and risen from the dead. And verses 46 through 48, now you're my witnesses. Now you're sent. The mission of the church, think about this. The mission of the church was birthed when God's people were self-quarantining themselves in their homes. The mission of the church is birthed here in this moment. And Jesus is sending his people out into the world to proclaim who he is. This isn't a call to break quarantine, right? Listen to the rules. But don't underestimate what God's doing in our waiting. Let's not miss how God's at work in us. Let's also not miss the opportunity for God to be at work through us. Church, our circumstances have changed, but our mission remains the same. Oh yeah, I've said it before that our mission remains the same. We, We are a church committed to multiplying disciples who delight in, declare, and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor. But but look at what, what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that that no quarantine can keep the church from bearing witness to Jesus' death and resurrection. Our mission is clear. You are my witnesses. We bear witness to Jesus who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. And our message is that Jesus who died for us and rose for us, that there's forgiveness only in his name when we repent and believe in him. And how in the world are we going to carry out this mission and speak this message when our circumstances and and the trials and challenges all around us seem to, to mount up? The Holy Spirit, the power that, that propels the mission is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now indwells every person who's put their faith in Jesus. And because of that, we are empowered to carry out the work that God has given us. You can't do the mission of God without the Spirit of God. And Jesus is going to say down in verse 40, 49, that behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Perhaps what God wants to teach us is in this moment is that the mission isn't about our strategies 
The mission isn't about our budgets and, and our buildings. The mission isn't about our personalities and charisma, but the mission is about Jesus. The mission is about what he did on the cross and how he rose from the dead. And, and the resources that we need to do it are found in him. And they're found in the spirit of God who dwells within us. So strip away all the other stuff. And Jesus said the mission is the same. You can, you can lock believers up, but you can't lock the gospel up, right? You can, you can quarantine people, but you can't quarantine the message of Jesus crucified and Jesus risen from the dead. Look, as a church, we're going to have to get creative. Our mission has remained the same, but we're going to have to get creative as we figure out how to carry it out. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Even this week, uh, we have an opportunity uh, for you to, to join in uh, as we think about how to brainstorm ways to, to intentionally live on mission. I, I want you to be a part uh, of that in our weekly news. You can find that information and, and join us as well as on social media. You can get that information to know how to be a part of that this week. But as we think of the different creative ways to carry out our mission, I keep coming back myself to the message. God, press home the message in our hearts. Help us not to be so quick to think that we have it all figured out. Let us come back again and again to what Jesus said. Christ should suffer. Christ would rise from the dead. Forgiveness is in Christ. But we can't know or experience forgiveness unless Christ is proclaimed. Repentance and forgiveness proclaimed in his name in all nations. Everywhere, God is calling us to bear witness to him. And the foundation and the source of our mission and our message is God's word. Rooted in God's word, confident in the work of Christ, we are sent out with the spirit of Christ to carry out his mission. I want Treasuring Christ to be a church where people experience the forgiveness of God. I want it to be a place where people can know what it means to be forgiven. And if that's going to be the case, then we have to be a people who are committed to declaring the gospel that leads to forgiveness. The completed work of Christ and his victorious resurrection from the dead. The resurrection launches the mission of the church. Church, we're sent. We're sent now. Jesus is alive and we have a mission. And then finally, we see in the, the final verses here, in verse 50 through 51, says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. We see finally that the resurrection calls us to worship. The Gospel of Mark ends with Jesus, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus ascending and his people worshiping. That's, that's the final tone. What's the change? How do we go from fearful and afraid to joyfully worshiping? On Friday, they were crying at the foot of the cross and running away from facing a similar fate. On Saturday and Sunday morning, they're hiding in their homes, afraid and unsure. Now they're worshiping, going back into the city of Jerusalem and bearing witness and rejoicing everywhere they went. What changed was the resurrection. Jesus was alive, and nothing else mattered more than that. 
Listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, that means he is who he said he is. If, if Jesus rose from the dead, that means that he alone can save. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he truly is the king who reigns. And if, if Jesus rose from the dead, then he's the one who's going to come back again for his people. And, and if he rose from the dead, then he's the one to whom we must give an account. He's the one to whom we must answer. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then he ultimately is the one who's worthy of our praise. And the gospel of Luke ends on the note of worship because Jesus is alive from the dead. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And the director, Stephen King, sums up the, the message of that movie with one line. He says, fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. It's a powerful kind of redemptive story of someone who's um, in jail for something he didn't commit. He experiences unfaithfulness from his wife, and then he's uh, subject to carrying out the money laundering of the prison warden. And, and we see how he ends up getting uh, this sense of justice and overcoming this fear and this hope that's played out in the course of this movie. But I, I love that line, that fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. Hope can set you free. That's what the resurrection does. You see, Christian hope isn't, isn't like, I hope the Cowboys win a Super Bowl in my lifetime, right? Like, that may or may not happen. Uh, we hope uh, that uh, the Michigan Wolverines can win a national championship. I mean, look, we, we're hoping that we can have some sports sometime in the near future, right? We, we don't know how sure that's going to be. Here's what Christian hope is. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking. Christian hope is a confident expectation that God will keep his word, that God's promises are true, that Jesus is who he said he is, and that Jesus has done what he said he would do. That's our hope, confident expectation that God is for us and that he will never leave us. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And if you've found hope in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're free, free to live. And what's the characteristic of those who are most free? Those who are free can lift their hands and worship. So what's your response to the resurrection? Do you worship? Do you worship because your eyes have been opened to see that Jesus is the, is the Savior who died for you and is alive? And through him, you can live and have forgiveness of sins. As we think about the message of Easter, and we think about the message of the resurrection, is that there is hope to be found. Not hope in you, not hope in, in what you haven't done or what you have done, but hope in what Jesus does, has done and what he has accomplished. And my invitation to you today is if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've got questions about Jesus, but as you hear this message, your, your heart is stirred, just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it burns within you that you want what Jesus is offering, the forgiveness that he wants to grant you, that you would do it. You would do it by calling on his name. The scripture says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What, what should you do? Jesus said the message is that repentance and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed. 
So here's, here's what I want you to do if that's you. If, if you feel God calling you today to give your life to him, pray something like this. Pray it in your heart and, and looking to Jesus. Pray, I know I'm a sinner. I know that, that I've gone my own way. But I see today that you died on the cross for me and that you're really alive. The resurrection really happened and that forgiveness can only be found in you. God, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and change me. Make me new. I give you my life. I want to be a part of your work and your mission. I'm yours. Thank you for saving me. It's not a magic prayer, but when we call out to him and mean it from our heart, he says that you will be saved. And we want to encourage you and walk with you. So let us know. Connect with us. Give us an opportunity to follow up with you, to help you understand what it means to follow with him, what it means to follow him. And as a church, as we today celebrate this resurrection in a way that we perhaps in our lifetimes have never celebrated it in the time like we find ourselves, don't forget that in this moment, in our moment of waiting, in our moment of quarantine, God hasn't taken a break. Our mission hasn't ceased. Our mission remains the same. Jesus is risen from the dead. Let's let him change us and transform us. And let's be ready for him to use us, empowering us by his spirit to carry out his mission right where we are. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of that, nothing can be the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray, God, for anyone who's put their faith and trust in you today, God, that you would uh, that you would just comfort and assure them of, of your saving grace, that anyone who is in your hand can never be plucked out, and that you would help us to, to be able to come alongside them and walk with them to understand what it means to follow you. And Lord, that you would, you would just stir up in our hearts as a church I got a, a, a newfound uh, desire and, and, and confidence and boldness that our, our mission to bear witness to you is, is alive and active as ever before. And our, our message is that you died for us and rose from the dead and that forgiveness is only in you and you've given us everything we need to carry out your mission. God, as we celebrate your resurrection today, would you blow with fresh power your Holy Spirit on us to, to embolden us to be about your mission. Thank you for the hope that sets us free in Christ. And thank you for the hope that sends us out. May we be found faithful both now and when you return. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.